Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 12, verses 34 to 50. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them, though he had done many signs before them, and they still did not believe in him, so that the, world, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah must, might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded the eyes and hardened the heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory, saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for the fear of Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than from the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, that so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have spoken on my own authority. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of God. No one wants to waste their life. Now, how we deal with that, how we go about it, is a little bit different for each of us. Some people are very proactive. You um, evaluate what would be worth filling your life with, and you fill your life with it. You come up with a five-year plan. You live for the eulogy virtues so that after you die, people could speak well of you. And that's actually a very good way uh, to live. But it's also a recipe for the midlife crisis because no matter what your plans are and, and how careful you are uh, to work them out, at some point, things don't work out quite as you want or expect. And many of us have the tendency to not see all of the good, but to focus on what is wrong. And therefore, um, no matter how much you're trying to live a good and full life, you'll deal with regret, with failure, uh, with uh, not feeling good about yourself. Some people uh, take a very different approach rather than trying to uh, decide what they like and go after it. They just take each day as it comes. That also could be a very good approach. There's the danger if you're not thoughtful that 10 years passed and you haven't done anything. But actually in the moment, if you're continually making faithful choices, then it actually is possible over 10 years that amazing things uh, will happen. But there's a vulnerability there as well. If you're not one that's 
trying to think about things, if you're not intentional, life inevitably brings us surprises. There are accidents, there are illnesses, there uh, are all sorts of traumatic events. And uh, something like that as an intrusion can leave you completely, utterly confused, that your whole uh, understanding of life itself could collapse. There's no way to safeguard ourselves against that. And one of the, the pictures the Bible uses uh, to, to talk about the nature of humanity is it's, it's like we're lost. Something has come between God and humanity. <clears throat> and as people wander through the earth, uh, we're confused. We don't know where we're going. And Jesus comes and highlights the risk is that we're actually going nowhere. And so if you've ever been lost and if you reflect on aspects of that experience, were you confused? Were you scared? Were you angry? Um, well, those are, the, 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 those are the experiences of life as a whole. And this picture that human beings are lost is concerning. So in verse 35, uh, where, where all throughout John's gospel, he's been using the imagery of light and darkness for many reasons. But one of the things that darkness communicates is we don't know where we are and we don't know where we're going. So in verse 35, Jesus says, the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. So that's not good. We don't want to wander through life from one thing to the next, but it all adds up to nothing. But in verse 46, Jesus encouragingly says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So one of the claims Jesus is making is that he has been sent into the world and that he has been sent for something very unique, but something very crucial. It's to gather people and lead them so that we don't remain lost, we don't remain in darkness, we don't waste our lives. And so as we're finishing this series that began in September, looking at the first 12 chapters of John's Gospel, where there's an invitation throughout John, come and see. And if you see what Jesus would have you see, we're told we will have life. So as we're finishing up, uh, what is it that we have been seeing or should see? I wanna talk about three things from this passage, what we see, what we don't see, and what we need to see. So I'm gonna begin with what we see. So uh, Jesus invites us to follow him because he will lead us towards God. We should be seeing as human beings God. That's the, the vision of the Bible in the beginning that, that God is with us, we're his image bearers. There's something about the wholeness of that relationship that is life-giving and life-promoting. The problem is we don't see God and therefore we, we wander through the world trying to have some experience of something to satisfy this unsatisfied longing, um, but what are we looking to? So Jesus' final words here, by final, I mean as John writes his gospel, these are the last words Jesus speaks to the general audience. And then the rest of John is his words to his disciples and then his crucifixion and resurrection appearances. Um, but in verses 47 and 48, he says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. What Jesus has been saying is that the world is in darkness. He's not coming to declare judgment. He's coming because the world is self-evidently, to a certain degree, under judgment. Look at our violence, our hostility. Look at our envy. Look at the ways we treat one another. That's not the way it should be. Jesus doesn't come in to condemn us. 
He comes in order to save us, to bring us out of that. And yet, his coming with a word of truth that clarifies winds up having a condemning function if we refuse to listen to it. So there's a weightiness to what Jesus is saying because Jesus's view is not simply that life is okay and he's gonna make it very good. He's saying it's like we're lost in the darkness and we're going nowhere, we're in great danger, a danger that's uh, where our lives gonna end with nothingness, but that's not how it has to be. He has come to call us out of that. And so what do we see in this world? Is the world completely in darkness? Well, no, there's lots of things, even good things. But this is what Jesus is, is coming uh, to, to, to fulfill a story where the world is filled with good things because God has made the world good. The world is filled with corrupt things that in confusing ways we think some of them are good. Um, but, but the world tends to shine light on certain things because we all have that desire for fullness and for satisfaction and for joy and, and for various things but unable to find them and trace them back to their source, we wind up um, going where everybody else goes, where uh, things are lit up. And so what is it in your circles? Is it fame? Is it money? Is it status? Is it intelligence? Is it having a good relationship? Is it being comfortable and enjoying life? Uh, different communities will put a spotlight on something and say, this is good if you have it. So come, let's gather around that. And what happens is there's something about human nature that our, our desires and instincts are unoriginal. We tend to want what everyone else wants. We tend to run after what everyone runs after. And so in this dark world, if somebody puts a light on something and says, come here, we may go there. So as, as an analogy, when you think about our city for all of its greatness, nightlife um, it's not simply uh, that, that at night things are dark because the sun is not there, but, but you think in contrast, given electricity and all of the, uh, the resources we have, that we would want to brighten things up so that we could be the city that never sleeps. But, but much of nightlife in New York is intentionally dark. Why is that? And I'm not going to give a fully orbed theory because I'm no expert on this, but just reflecting a little bit on the fact that nightclubs and bars tend to be dimly lit. Why is that? And again, I don't know uh, specific intentional design, but you would think, for example, one of the major reasons many people go out is to meet someone. People have romantic interests and the hope is that you'd meet someone. Well, if you're going to find someone in a car dealership, if you wanna find a car, you want there to be a bright light so you know what you're getting. So in the nightclub or the bar, why are the lights not on? Well, it's not simply that I am going to find who appeals to me, but I'm going to be evaluated myself. And therefore, I would be too afraid to show up and be seen. And so the darkness helps me. See, part of why these places are dim is because they're creating a socially comfortable environment. You're afraid of your flaws being seen. Why is music so loud in a place that's meant to create conversation and relationship? Uh, wouldn't it be better if you just had no music in those environments so we could really talk? But the conversation, there's a vulnerability to it. What if you approach someone and you say the wrong thing? Or what if they ask you a question and you need time to think about it? Or whether you say something and you realize you said the wrong thing? If the music's really loud, even though your goal may be to connect with a person, it helps with that fear that what if I don't connect with a person? What if in trying to connect to a, to a person, I put my foot in my mouth? Why do we serve 
alcohol in these places? Well, for any number of reasons, but it definitely helps with the biology of anxiety. But it also helps with what we typically do in our vulnerability, which is we need to be able to have something outside of ourselves to get the attention off. So if I had a lot to drink and took some risks and they didn't work out, then I could tell myself, that's not me, it was me under the influence. Or I could tell other people, I wouldn't normally do that, but there it is, don't look at me. Uh, and so uh, the interesting thing is, um, when you go to these nightclubs, it's not that everything is dark. Uh, the bar is usually lit up. Is that because they don't want the, uh, the bartender spilling the liquids, trying to find the cup in the dark? Well, maybe there's something very practical like that. Um, but they're creating this atmosphere for the clientele to say, we're gonna create a place where you could come and get what you want and we're gonna make it as comfortable for you as possible. But what we want is to make money off of this. And so the place where you spend your money, the, the entryway booth, <laughs> the bar, we're gonna make sure is brightly lit. And so you're not in complete darkness where you're bumping into people, but it's just dark enough. And I think that's, there's elements of that that's the kind of picture of the world in which we live in, which is not that the world is completely terrible, it's not that we can't see anything, but, but, but we live with fear, we live with these desires that are confused and we, we don't have the courage to act on. And so we like to keep a little bit hidden, but yet we still want to have something of that fullness, something of that excitement. And so what the world does is it shines light on certain things, money. If you have that, then look at what you'll have access to. What is it you want, power? Well, if you have money, you have power. If you want freedom, if you have money, you can make lots of choices. And so everyone running after money, you find yourself thinking, well, how do I live a decent life? And unquestioning of those are the standards, you just, you go. And the funny thing is everyone, it's not just Christians, it's not just religious people, everyone will say, don't devote yourself to making money so ultimate that you pursue it. Don't make fame something that you pursue. There are all sto sorts of stories of people who failed and didn't get it or who got it and were dissatisfied. And yet, what's the alternative? The alternative is just to sit here in the dark by myself. And so what else is there? We, we go where the excitement is. Uh, and there's something here in verse 43 where, where Jesus says, part of the problem is there are, there are some who wouldn't come and there are some who did, but they stayed on the fence um, and it says in verse 43, it's because they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Human beings are looking for something glorious, something life-giving, something beautiful, something profound, something deep. We want it, but we don't see what God promises. We just have it in the form of a promise. So if you can see a beautiful body, if you could see somebody climbing the corporate ladder, if you could see a crowd of successful people gathered, well, there's a glory there that we will seek after. And what happens is we wind up um, wanting what other people want just because that's what they want and depending on them to give us the validation. Are we right for their social circle? Are we reaching the markers? In which case, if they tell us you are fine, you are one of us, you are succeeding, you belong, then we have that validation. And I think it's obvious to all what the consequences of that are, which is the constant fear of not having that validation or the idolatry of seeking it every day, looking how many clicks you have or um, on your social media. One of the symptoms that something is not right is that we're afraid, that we have these anxieties. And in verse 42, 
Jesus says there were some who actually recognized the truth, but because of fear, because the fear of the inner circle, they wouldn't do what they believed was right because they thought they would be rejected by the ones who had the light shining on them. So the religious leaders. And so because of fear, they stayed in the shadows. And that's something uh, when you wanna find out what is it I really want in life, think about what is it that you're really afraid of? Because the other side of that is that, is the fear that you won't attain what you want or that if you attain it, you won't be able to hold on to it. And so Jesus has a lot to say about anxiety. He has a lot to say about priorities. He says, don't store up the kinds of treasures that moth or rust or thieves could destroy. But find something that's enduring, something that can't be taken with you, something that doesn't depend on the whims and opinions of others. And so what we see in the world are things that, that promise they will satisfy us. But what we're warned about is there's more that we don't see. So secondly, what we don't see. So certainly we don't always see the consequences for our foolish actions, but what we're running after the wrong things is, is because we don't see what we should be running after. There's something far more glorious. There's something far more beautiful, something far more true and right and healthy and helpful. But we don't see it with our eyes. And so throughout the Bible, you have these messengers that God raises up in order to announce these things. And some are more successful than others, but most were not fully successful. So Moses, the prophet, he uh, had a ministry of signs in Egypt. They would not listen to him who came as a messenger. Here's what the creator of the heavens and earth says, these people that you've enslaved, let them go so that they could worship God. So he comes with signs of judgment. So God's people see signs of God's power Power is a revelation of glory. God's glory was shown in his power, but it's only one aspect of God's glory. God is also slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Uh, the Hebrew people didn't see that. They saw his power, so they followed him out. And then as they come to Sinai, this huge mountain where there's clouds and thunder and lightning, they saw the glory of God and his power, and they said, we are not going up that mountain. Moses, why don't you go up? <laughs> So Moses goes up and is the one who meets with God face to face. And we find he goes up and he meets with God and he hears of God's grace and God's mercy and God's right commandments. And he comes down with his face radiating so much so that oddly enough, he needed to put a veil on his face. He was with a community that saw something of God's glory, but it was, it was a particular expression of God's power. So they knew, keep the commandments because you'll fear this God. But they didn't meet face to face with God. They didn't love God with the fullness that they could. So even all of the glory that they had, Moses, as he's ending his life in Deuteronomy, says, remember all that God showed us. Remember all that God said, but I know that you're a stubborn, stiff-necked people. You're, you're not going to believe it. And you go forward and you read the prophets in future generations. And the prophets are the ones who are saying, you're not understanding the fullness of God's glory and therefore you're running after what the nations run after. So Isaiah is the one mentioned in John 12. One of the most famous passages in the Bible is Isaiah 6. Isaiah has a vision of God in all of his glory. And it's interesting, what does he say? He says, woe to me, I am lost. He is afraid that he is so unworthy that 
he cannot look upon God and live. So he needs God to cleanse him, to atone in some way in that moment because he has seen something so magnificent, he recognizes he's unworthy. And yet God is gracious. And now his calling as a prophet is, you have seen this glory, now go and announce it to the people. But these are people who are living in darkness, people who are stuck with their heads and things they shouldn't be doing. So Isaiah's unique call as a prophet was to go as one who saw something of glory and try to describe it to people who have no interest in hearing it. So in 1241, uh, John writes, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Interesting extra credit homework. Who is the him that he's talking about? It sounds like he's saying, Isaiah saw Jesus. Go read a commentary and figure that out for yourself. Isaiah saw something of glory, and he spoke of it. But verse 38, here are the words of Isaiah, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? In verse 40, uh, sorry, that's verse 38. Verse 40 speaks about the blind, hard-hearted nature. Isaiah had a very peculiar calling. I will show you something so wonderful that you can go and tell people about it in contrast to what they're doing. But here's the thing, Isaiah, they're not going to listen to you, at least not at first. And then the book of Isaiah has them being handed over to their own misery, but God's promise that one day a servant will come to make things right. So Jesus comes as that servant to show greater glory, not signs of judgment, but signs of the kingdom. He heals people. He feeds people. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And that's why Jesus says, this world has become a dark place. God could come and visit and show you wonderful things, and you're confused, you're apathetic. There's an inability problem, verse 39, therefore they could not believe. That's the problem. Isaiah says the people walking in darkness one day would see a great light. Jesus comes and announces the light is among you, but somehow you seem unable to believe. It reminds us of that conversation uh, back in the fall when we looked at John 3. Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders, somebody who understands the scriptures, recognizes something in Jesus and comes to him, but John tells us Nicodemus comes at night. And he has questions about the kingdom, and Jesus says to one of the most informed people of that community, he says, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. What you need is this new birth. You need to be born again. You need this birth from above. Otherwise, you remain in darkness. You need spiritual renewal. Uh, and here we, we find what Jesus is saying is there have been all sorts of people who devote themselves to, to a better life, and they climb the mountain, and they're looking for what's divine. Moses went up on the mountain. Elijah went up on the mountain. All of these figures went up on the mountains, and then they came down, and they spoke of what they saw, and people didn't believe. And what Jesus is saying is what we don't need is somebody who's going to climb all the way to God because you can never achieve your way to God's blessing. You can never find God when you're lost in the darkness. What we need is not the holy person to go up before us, but we need God and his holiness to come down to us. That's what Jesus is saying is light comes into darkness. Nicodemus, you can't earn your way to me. I have come to find you, and I will show you the way if you will follow me. And so what do we what do we see? Um, we see a, a lot of glory in this world that will not fulfill us. What do we not see? 
we do not see the glory of God that will fulfill us. And so here's the last thing. What do we need to see? That's why Jesus ends with this urgent pleading. The light is with you. The invitation has come. God is speaking his word. And though you have difficulty hearing, though you have trouble seeing and comprehending, though your minds can't make sense of it, though your hearts still feel hardened, God wants you to see something. Moses, Isaiah, many others went up into the presence of God. John's gospel claims something unique, that the one who was in the presence of God comes into our world. That's how the gospel opens. And what Jesus is about to talk about his return. And he's saying, I have not called you to come up and find me, but I've come down to find you. And now I'm going, so don't stay where you are. But follow me while you have the light. Come with me because I will bring you to where I am going. You will see what you need to see, the glory of God. And so his final cry in verses 44 to 46 in John's gospel, Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And so he's coming and saying, you don't yet see it, but trust me and you will start to follow. It's not that one day you will see it, but you will start to see it in the following. God's glory will make its way into your life. And so in verse 50, he says, I know that his, the Father's commandment, is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Light and darkness as images in John are ways of communicating the eternal life that we don't understand. We could understand light because of the sun and the moon. We don't understand eternal life. We think of it as a temporal term, just days without end. But Jesus is saying it's not just that. I have come with a word from God, which is to give eternal life. And so now I'm saying, believe me, while the light is in your presence, and I will bring you to what it is you want. And Jesus has shown many great things. Some people, surprisingly, are so stubborn that they oppose him without opening their minds to consider it. But there are so many that saw him heal that saw him feed the crowds, that saw him turn water into wine and understood he's fulfilling the hopes of God's people. So they came forward. Um, But then Jesus says something that um, shows them that they don't yet understand it. Some recognize that Jesus is the realization of their desires and hopes. And so they think he is the greatest one God has ever sent and they want to make him king. But Jesus says, actually, it is not until I am lifted up that people will really be drawn to me. Because right now you're drawn by recognizing I have things you want. You see power, you see glory, you see the things you desire can be realized in me. But you've not yet been transformed. You're trying to bring me into your life and into the world. And that's never worked. You need to be brought out of the darkness of this world and into the life of God. And therefore, this confusing statement, when the Son of Man is lifted up, He will draw all people to himself. And so part of the nature of this conversation, verse 34, the crowd, how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus didn't invent this title. You could read about it in Daniel, for example. That's the thing is they don't know who this person is. And Jesus is saying, but you will find out when I am lifted up. And what he's talking about 
is his being lifted up on the cross. It's what makes Christianity utterly unique in that whether it's other religions or philosophies or secular systems, self-help, whatever it is, we always wanna show people the great thing that can be yours if you take the steps, if you make the commitment. And Jesus is saying, actually, because the world is a dark place, what you need to see is something that actually uh, not only uh, is sustained in the darkness, but something that actually can overcome it. That's the promise of John 1. And so when he is lifted up, when he is crucified, we see not simply that Jesus comes with power, the ability to uh, make things happen that only God can do. He doesn't simply come with wisdom to teach in ways that make sense, but he actually comes to do something, uh, to show something of the glory of God. And what we're told is when we see that, then it brings us out of the darkness and into the light. And what he's showing us is the true nature of the world. Because the world that says, if you, if you do what we tell you, we will reward you. Here, is all, here are the wonderful things. Here's the Roman Empire. Uh, do you want money? Do you want uh, you know, to be part of, of uh, the movement taking over the world? Are you a Jewish religious leader? Do you want standing within your own smaller community? Um, and Jesus says, when, you're, when I am lifted up, you're going to see that the people who are offering you something they can't deliver will not really like you if you're not willing to go with their program. This world doesn't appear to be a dark place because we're always showing what we promise to reward you with. But once we don't want you to be in the one in charge of defining what the glory is, what do you do? And Jesus is lifted up with humiliation, with rejection. And Jesus is saying, this is the nature of the world. Everyone talks about how wonderful everything is, but come as a person of truth and watch what happens. And so when he's lifted up, first of all, there is darkness. We have condemned an innocent person. We have sought strength for ourselves in ridiculing somebody else. We felt good about ourselves that we were here and not there. But Jesus says, but if you understand what I was doing, then you'll realize you don't wanna stay there with the crowd shouting, with the cynics, with those who hate, with the violent. But you wanna be with those who come not with a word of peace, but actually who will enter a dark world and remain consistently the way of peace. And so what we, we find is that when Jesus is crucified, he's there not simply to show the power of God, to justify, to forgive, but to show the grace, the mercy of God who comes to bring justification and forgiveness to the very people who have rejected him. And in this sense, uh, a question for us to ask is that the things that, that we put a spotlight on, the things that really light up and draw us, where we say, if I have that, I'll be content. My life will have been worth living. What of those things will help you in moments of darkness? And that's an interesting test because when you're doing well, money is to your advantage. How many celebrities had money and had parties that people lined up to come to and lost their money and nobody would let them sleep on their couch. So, so your retirement savings or the awards on your wall or the people that continually tell you you're the greatest, all of that, all of that could be good. But when life is very hard, what of that will be of any use, of any help? And Jesus comes and says, I'm trying to show you something. I'm gonna go into the darkness and light will still shine so that you know that if you are connected with God, when everything falls apart in whatever form, 
you will have something that will endure. You will have something that will lead you through that period and you will wind up coming out of it, not having lost everything you built your life on, but having taken hold of the life that you hoped would be given to you by God's promise. And so if you think about occasions where people get lost, I've, um, in recent years, having married a Californian, have spent many years walking around the woods and I, you could drop me in any major city and I could figure out my way to get around. It's taken me years to figure out, even with a, with a trail and markers, I get lost easily. So I go out early in the morning and I've always made it back. But you know, getting lost in the woods at night, if you're in the mountains, if you're at 10,000 feet, there's, there's no joke about that. It's not simply like, well, let me take a nap. Um, if, the, if the weather is dropping down to 40 degrees, even in the summer, if there are bears and snakes, um, laying down to take a nap in the darkness is not good. But if you're lost and you couldn't find your way when the sun was out, how are you gonna find your way in the darkness? In that situation, if in all of your wanderings there was a cabin thousands of feet away that you never noticed, but all of a sudden in the darkness you see a light, it's not that that light is your home, but that light, if you go there, is something that should convince you that that is your best way to deal with that moment. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I've not come to make this your home. I've come to shine light so that those who are lost in the darkness will not suffer death, will not be vulnerable, but can be oriented to come because if you come to me, then I will take you to where you want to go. So the glory that we're seeking, Jesus in verses 45, 44 and 45 says, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And that's the thing Jesus is saying is you're looking for glory and you're not seeing it. But I've been sent into the world by the Father and I bring his glory with me. Will you come? Will you be still and listen and watch? Because if you see something of the glory of God who came for you when you were lost, who isn't making you earn his favor, but gives his favor to you though you can't earn it, the one who, though you were an enemy, still loved you enough to urge you to come back. When you see those things in Jesus, not just in his message, but in his character, in his mission, then Jesus says, if you start to see something glorious about me, don't make me your prime minister. Don't try to elect me to four years of being your president. Understand you've seen the glory of the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that's what we need for transformation not to have a bunch of rules that will make us the better religious people, but we need somebody to shine something truly glorious into our lives. And so that's why as a church, we invite people to come. Come and look at Jesus, consider the gospel. And if that's hard for you, if, 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 if you still find yourself saying, I don't get it, Why, what's unique about Christianity? Understand that that's exactly what the Bible says. Most of us to some degree, certainly any of us who became Christians as uh, as adults will recognize, yeah, that's true of all of us. That doesn't mean your situation is hopeless. The thing is, are you gonna choose between the glory that you see or the glory that's promised to you? I have a dog that's very food motivated. We let the dog off leash because we, the dog knows we have treats. And so when we call the dog's name, the dog comes running from all sorts of places. There are sometimes we call and the dog does not come. 
and then we know the dog smells something, you're going to give me one tiny bite, and I may find uh, several things. So it doesn't matter if you call, I'm not going to come. But of course, when you come, we're going to give you one tiny bite, but we're also going to take you home and feed you for the rest of your life. Jesus comes and calls. What is it that keeps us from, from coming is it seems like we could get more through just having a great career. And Jesus is saying is, yeah, maybe you're seeing me offer you something for today, but come and you will find that I will feed you for your whole life. And so um, I would say if you're not a Christian, come. But right now, if it doesn't make sense, store away for the time of darkness because it will come. What will help you in that moment? And Jesus says, I will. And so if you're lost, always look for where the light is. God sent Jesus with the light in him. For those who come to see, all of us who are Christian, uh, it's not easy to see God's glory. And it takes patient endurance through periods of misery where God is teaching us. It takes the discipline of seeking him even if we feel like it would be easier to just spend 20 more minutes on the phone. And so there is a glory in Christ that we need to pursue. It's real, it's there. It's not constant, but it's also not necessarily easy to access, but it's not because God's not playing, it's not because God's playing games. So be persistent. Believe Jesus who says, keep coming and looking at me. And if you see me, you will see the Father, you will see glory and therefore live. Uh, that's what this sermon series has been about, about the life that God offers to us. Jesus says, I'm not taking you out of the world, but I'm sending you into the world. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. If we see something of the glory of Christ, we go back into the world as different people, which means the calling of the church is to be as a light. So on the one hand, you can go where the light is. You can seek out celebrity. You could seek out uh, excellence. You could seek out accomplishment. You don't seek it out because you think it's going to satisfy your thirsty soul. When you realize that the glory of God is the only thing that will, then you're able to be in those environments with a certain measure of freedom. Now be humble and don't think that you could go there and not get pulled in. But if you understand the glory of God, we're not anti-excellence. We now are people that don't worship our careers or money, but we're actually free to take whatever is good and use it for his glory. So the church will go into the great places and use our skill and our wisdom, but the church is always to be marked as those who are also willing to go to the dark places because the world creates great places so that we can get out of the darkness. And if the glory of God is real, we're told actually, if we go in, the darkness will not overtake it. So go where there's poverty. Go where people have committed crimes uh, that we should not forgive them for, but actually God might be calling some of them to do ministry in prisons. Uh, go where the people wasted their resources and the community that you have that's efficiently using them, doesn't feel fair to share them, but, but we go as people of light because we don't serve money. We don't care about our reputations to the degree that we're supposed to if that's all there is. Jesus is saying that's not all there is. There's a glory that you can't imagine. And if you see me and follow me, you will have that life at work in you. And if there's a community of people with God's life at work in them going back into the world, uh, there will be a transformation that doesn't simply happen in individuals, but, but through the church in the world. That's the vision Jesus lays out for us. So let's be a worshiping community who assembles to worship and remember the great glory of God. Let's be a community that goes out into the world, remembering what is truly glorious, but living the life that Jesus promises us. Let me pray for us. Our Father, 
every one of us who has gathered uh, has poor vision, poor hearing. Our hearts are drawn towards so many things and even to the degree that we understand how self-destructive we can be, we are foolish uh, because we're unbelieving and without hope. Lord, we thank you that Jesus came after years of the demonstration of the limits of humanity to finally do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We thank you for forgiveness that comes. We thank you for a spirit that is poured out. We thank you that you shine light into our hearts and into our lives so that we can pursue things that truly satisfy us. And Lord, it is hard for some of us that you've left us here to remain in the midst of darkness to try to imitate Christ. But for any who are doing that, whether it's intentionally to serve this world, or whether it's circumstantially of just the reality of this season. We pray for the strengthening of that light that can't be overcome by darkness. We pray of something of glory that would satisfy our souls even while we deal with the difficulties of this dark world. May we be a people who don't waver in our faith, but rejoice because you are good and faithful. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.